Hello and welcome to the Family Planning Files, a podcast from the National Clinical Training Center for Family Planning. The National Clinical Training Center for Family Planning is one of the training centers funded through the Office of Population Affairs to provide programming to enhance the knowledge of Title X and other family planning staff. I'm your host, Katherine Atchison. In response to the emergence of the novel coronavirus, now known as SARS-CoV-2, and that causes COVID-19 infections, the National Clinical Training Center for Family Planning has produced a series of podcasts providing guidance to family planning clinicians as new information has become available. Now, as vaccine distribution is well underway, the NCTCFP is revisiting how clinical operations are moving forward with two of our first guests in our COVID-19 series, Raisa Ame and Evelyn Kiltaika. Raisa and Evelyn are both board-certified women's health nurse practitioners with a combined four decades of health experience. Raisa Ame is the clinical manager for the Missouri Family Health Council, a Title X grantee, and oversees the family planning services at 66 service sites throughout the state. Prior to her position at MFHC, Raisa worked as a family planning clinician in Texas and a clinical instructor in the nursing programs at Tyler Junior College and Iowa Western Community College. Evelyn Kiltaika is Senior Vice President of Program Services at Maine Family Planning, where she's worked since 1995. At Maine Family Planning, she oversees the operations of 18 health centers and also administers all subrecipient clinical grants from Maine Family Planning for reproductive health services across the state. Welcome back to both of you. We're so excited to have you on the podcast again today. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. To start with, would both of you just describe how the past 18 or so months have been like for you as clinician managers? Raisa, if you'd like to go first. Sure. So the past 18 months or so have been challenging, but it's also been rewarding to see our network's perseverance throughout this crisis. I would say our network hasn't wavered in their commitment to deliver high quality reproductive and sexual health services. And what about you, Evelyn? Well, it's been a roller coaster. And I think early on and still now, there was lots of challenges to ensure that our 18 health centers were functioning in, in the crisis, even though we weren't sure exactly what was happening. And it's hard to imagine, but it was back in March of 2020, this virus was mysterious and we were anxious. And so keeping the staff's morale up and ensuring that we could continue to provide services was really critical. We never closed a health center as a network of subrecipients never closed. I fed them a lot of information about ensuring they were still providing reproductive health services and sexual health services, even through the pandemic, how they could use telehealth to provide presumptive treatments for STD infections, as well as how they could ensure they're still making LARCs available by using telehealth as a way to counsel patients so they could minimize their time in the office. So and as the virus evolves, we've, of course, all of us are evolving with it in terms of going back to some more things like it, telling staff now to wear eye protection, whereas that we still always mask, but eye protection, we kind of brought that back when the Delta virus kind of spun up in here in Maine. I mean, so it's like everywhere we're seeing an increase in cases. And what changes, Evelyn, you talked about this a little bit, but what changes did both your clinic networks have to make for providing services during COVID-19? Evelyn, if you'd like to start. 
Sure. We immediately moved everything we could to a telehealth platform. Now we've been providing telehealth prior to this, so it wasn't a, a new entity like it might have been for others, but still it brought its challenges in terms of workflow and thinking about how we could move patients to that platform. And during the height of the pandemic, I would say that about 60 to 80% of our care was on our telehealth platform and the other 20% or so, 40% were in-person visits because we just needed to see patients in the practice. So that was ever evolving as we moved through the pandemic. Then as things moved along, we made changes around allowing back in the summer when there was a lull, allowing more patients to come into, giving patients a choice. Would you like to be seen by our telehealth platform or would you like to be seen in person? So again, constantly looking at our workflows and thinking about how we can best give patients the care they need and also to protect everyone as we're learning more and more about how to best ensure that we are minimizing any risk of contracting the virus. And what about for you, Raisa? So as a Title X grantee, we have been able to keep a tune as to what's going on in the field by utilizing a COVID tracker. And what we've identified is that every health center in our network has adjusted their hours, their services, their appointment times, and or their modes of operation at some point over the past year and a half or so. And they did this to better manage safety precautions in light of COVID-19 transmission risks, also their staff shortages, and other organizational demands outside of family planning. And what sort of challenges did you all face in adapting to COVID-19 and making these changes? Right, Steph, you'd like to start? Sure. So our Title X network health centers closed. Some of them reduced hours of operation for some period of time. Our health departments had operations drastically altered by the addition of their overwhelming tasks associated with combating the COVID-19 pandemic, like COVID screening. They also implemented contact tracing duties, and this affected their ability to provide their standard family planning services. So all clinics in our network have reported challenges of some kind in regards to clinic capacity due to these staffing changes, the increased length of appointment times, and then also their inter-appointment times to accommodate for COVID-19 cleaning precautions. And what about you, Evelyn? Yes, I think much of what Raisa is talking about were things that happened at our facilities as well. I think the most challenging thing for us, for me, was just keeping the morale up because, you know, that we were throwing a lot of changes at people almost on a weekly basis in terms of how we were going to alter workflows and consider, do we lengthen appointments out and give more time in between for us cleaning? What does that look like? How do we move from a tele platform to an in-person platform? So I think it was so overwhelming. And then you take into account people's personal lives, our staff with children or with parents that they were trying to sure we're staying safe. So being very connected, and I think our HR department deserves many, many kudos in terms of keeping all those balls in the air in terms of working with our staff to ensure that they had their needs met so that they could be a productive employee. So it seems like everyone I've talked to has had to make major changes in providing their clinical services. Telehealth is a big one, but other changes such as ways of delivering birth control or doing screening. Are there changes like these that you have made in your clinics during COVID-19, but you're planning on keeping on a more permanent basis, even as hopefully cases begin to go down again? And what changes are these? Raisa, if you'd like to go. 
Sure. So our health centers are keeping a blend of like telehealth appointments and in-person appointments. They've also implemented um, and they're continuing to offer curbside pickup for some of the methods. So pills, patches, and they are also doing some drive-through depot injections as well. And what about you, Evelyn? We realized early on with moving to a primary telehealth platform, we shortened up our visits significantly because as we all know, when you're on a screen time, you know, a 45 minute visit just wasn't going to cut it for a birth control start or renewal. So we really boiled it down to what are the essential things we need to know in order to provide patients with the care they need today. Maybe I don't need to ask an extensive family history. Maybe I don't need to ask an extensive review of systems. So we looked to the medical eligibility criteria, the CDC documents, and said, okay, what is best practice? What do we need in order to make this method available or this STD service available? A lot of curbside pickup. We were mailing things to people. We used to have a small charge for mailing birth control pills or patches, and we waived that. So that cost was not an issue for patients who wanted to get things in the mail. And I think we're going to continue with those shorter visits. You know, as our medical director said, when we first really hit us hard in March of 2020, she's going to say, you know what, we're going to learn a lot of things that we were doing that really aren't necessary to provide quality care. Those words are ringing true for me in terms of what patients want. And we're all pretty impatient right now. I mean, it's amazing how our patients are really pushing back on even Why do I still need to wear a mask when I come into the clinic? So it's just a reflection of how we can really try to be as efficient as possible, really meet their needs, because they're not going to put up with a lot of shenanigans. I'm just telling you. And that's been our experience and not, nor should they. I think the healthcare system has been all about me and not about you. And I think if this is anything the pandemic has taught us is even though we thought we were so patient-centered when we started, I think this has really hit home for us that we thought we were more patient-centered, but really were we, and we're really changing our thinking about how we engage with our patients and get them what they need around their sexual and reproductive health. And I think they've appreciated that in terms of saying, thanks, this didn't take as long as I thought it was going to be. You really were helpful. I got all my questions answered, but you didn't you know, drag me into these long conversations about things that aren't necessarily relevant for that visit that day. And that sort of brings us really well into our next question about the role of telehealth. You have both touched on telehealth in our questions before this, but if you both could really elaborate on the role telehealth has played for your patients and clinics over the past 18 months and the role you see it playing again as we go forward and hopefully see these cases drop again. Evelyn, if you'd like to start. Yeah, that's a great question because I've been really trying to read the tea leaves and what I'm reading in the literature about where is telehealth going to be post-pandemic. And we're taking the tact, it's here to stay. We have a, still a large majority of patients that like it, think it's convenient. They like the idea they don't have to leave home. I mean, we do live in a rural state, so I will tell you, and we have broadband is an issue. So we're paying very close attention to who are we leaving out because of the access to things. So keeping a very keen eye on that and starting to really dig into those sorts of deserts that we need to really ensure that we still are accessible to our patients. 
You know, I think that there's a lot of disruptors also out there that are coming into our area who are coming in and offering services. They were there before the pandemic. We've all heard about them where you could go online and get your birth control pills. They were mailed to you, things like that. They're not going away. If anything, they've really shown their muscle during this pandemic. What we think we have to offer is we have bricks and mortar. And that is different than someone who you're calling who may be licensed in your state, but they're in California or someplace like that. So we're really kind of banking on our on the fact that we do have bricks and mortar and we can assure a patient that, hey, we can see you in telehealth today, but you're and you're a patient of ours. If you need to come in our office, you're already a patient. You're not a new patient anymore. And we can kind of really sell that piece of it. Uh, the one other thing we're looking at is asynchronous services. So that's becoming very popular. And we think there's a place for us in that platform. So on a Friday night, say, I decide I want to start some birth control pills and I go online, I fill out all the forms, I give you all the information. And then Monday morning, I open up and we grab that visit and go, oh, we make an appointment with them through tele and say, yeah, sure. It looks like everything's in order. I'm going to prescribe you a year's worth of birth control pills. Would you like to pick them up? Would you like the mail? How would you like to get access to those? So I see that becoming a very attractive option for many of us who are thinking about something on a weekend thinking, oh God, I really got to get that done. You know, we're all thinking that's why Monday mornings are always so busy for all of us. And so this is just another way to try to meet the needs of our patients. And Raisa, what about for you and your clinic network? As Evelyn mentioned, telehealth is here to stay. At the brink of COVID, many of our health centers began providing telehealth services entirely or partially. For many of the agencies, this transition was practically made overnight while maintaining that high quality of care. Um, I have had the honor of assisting many of our agencies by reviewing telehealth protocols. I've also developed sample scripts for our adolescent population and then offered support on telehealth billing and coding. And we also have provided training on best practices in providing patient-centered telehealth services back in February 2021. We did this with the assistance of our membership organization, the National Family Planning and Reproductive Health Association, also known as NIFRA. We also are the program office for the Right Time Initiative, which many of our Title X health centers also have this program. And so we have integrated into our future training plans, providing telehealth support and training services so that we can make sure that we keep our health centers abreast with the changes regarding telehealth. So we're going to continue to provide our health centers with the support needs that they have around telehealth. So to change tack a little bit from the services and the patients, our clinics are staffed by human beings. So how have your clinic staff weathered all of these changes over the past 18 months? And what are some ways of keeping morale up and connectivity up that you've found effective? And just ways of taking care of yourself as well. So Raisa, if you'd like to start. Sure. So our MFHC perspective, our executive director, Michelle Tripiano, she implemented flexible PTO, and that has been a lifesaver. Beginning of the pandemic, I was at home with a 12-year-old who was in virtual school and also working, so that was very challenging. So I utilized flexible PTO to be able to provide my daughter with the support that she needed. You know, that was new to her, transitioning from in-person school to a virtual setting. In terms of 
our staff. Staff has been resilient. We have, as well as our network staff, we have been able to meet them where they are. So if they have clients' expectations that they feel like they're not able to meet at this time, we work with them and provide them with whatever they need in terms of like if their due date is the 15th, we'll be like, what's reasonable to you? That would also still allow them to meet the compliance expectations within Title 10. So we've been able to have that ongoing dialogue, um, make sure that we are able to have virtual meetings, um, Zoom, if we need to have phone calls to make sure that we're there to support them with their needs, because this pandemic has been unprecedented. There's so many changes, you know, and just being able to keep abreast with the changes and provide them with the support that they have needed has been very vital to their success throughout this pandemic. And what about you, Evelyn? I know you mentioned a few things at the beginning, but if you could elaborate. Yeah, similarly, working very closely with staff to see how we can support their needs, particularly around childcare at home, the school issues. We just implemented a formalized remote work policy. So now everyone could take a look at that and submit a form to actually negotiate a remote work from home for a certain period of time. And that's been very well received, very enthusiastic that we were really making us a permanent thing because there's a lot of anxiety about that. Well, you're going to make me come back into the office full time. You're going to do whatever. So he said, and so everyone individually could sit down with their manager and go through this policy and they determined what was reasonable for them to still be able to do the essential functions of their job, but maybe do it remotely one, two, three days a week. So that was very well received. Of course, we tried to take advantage of everything that was made available through Congress in terms of the extra support for COVID and making sure that staff knew that all the all the things they had available to them, they weren't necessarily have to dip into their own sick time, we could use this other time. So there's lots of different things we did. We tried to do every other week or at least a month, we do a Zoom call with all the staff just to kind of talk about things, kind of get things that not memo them to death, really try to minimize that and say, can't we just have a chat about that at a staff meeting? We don't need to put a memo out. Because again, you know, we all see our email come through and we go, oh God, another email. I think we've tried to really minimize our Zoom calls, minimize that kind of interaction because we're all exhausted. And again, asking about staff, I know that many nurses or health educators have been pulled into work COVID response or staff members have gotten sick and had to take time off. What roles did your clinics play in the COVID-19 response? And did this have a big impact on staffing and operations and how you adapted? Evelyn, if you'd like to start. Yeah, that's a great question. We were not asked to go and staff COVID clinics. I know many of my colleagues in the healthcare systems in Maine, the federally qualified health systems, we were we were ready to step up, but it seemed like they had so many different volunteers that we were never asked to do that piece of it. Certainly, we did have a list, active list of where people could go to get the vaccine as they opened up the stages in terms of ensuring people get out there. We did actually look very closely at becoming a vaccine site ourselves. But in the end, the the logistics and the things we needed to have in place and the fact that there were so many places you could go and get the vaccine, Maine did a super job of having vaccine clinics everywhere that we decided that's probably not the best use of our resources. And now really, I mean, you can walk into the local grocery store and they said, I could get a vaccine today. So it certainly seems from that standpoint that that it's well covered in the state. 
So the impact on that particular piece was minimal. I know colleagues who, if they weren't working, they were volunteering on a vaccine. And what about you, Raisa, in Missouri? So, yes, a good amount of our health centers in our network were assigned with vaccine rollout. Um, I would say more so our health departments, and this did have an impact on their staffing and operations. In some cases, this required the clinic to stop seeing clients altogether for a period of time. However, we met them where they were and provided them with flexible options to allow them to continue to meet their Title X compliance. And what sort of feedback have you all received from patients during this time? And how has it shaped your clinical practices? Raisa? So many of our health centers have indicated that their family planning clients have expressed their appreciation for having this access to affordable birth control services. We have many direct quotes from clients during this period, and the feedback has been mainly positive. One of our health departments shared that they were able to provide a client with telehealth services remotely, which also allowed this client to be able to provide the necessary in-home assistance for their aging parents. So we have identified from the field and the feedback from our patients, our clients, I should say that it's been very beneficial for them to be able to still access these essential services despite this pandemic. And what about for you, Evelyn? Yeah, it's a great question because I'm asked that all the time. You know, it sounds great, but do the patients like it? And we asked a question, we did a survey, and the question we asked is, if there was no pandemic and you could get your services either in person or via telehealth, what would you choose? About 30% said in-house, 37% said tele. And then interestingly enough, about 20% said first available. So that's a concept I had not actually appreciated that patients say, well, I can get you a telehealth visit today, but that health center isn't open till Thursday if you want to actually go to the health center. And a lot of times they would pick first available. And then we had a small percentage that said no preference. So when you add it all up, tele really was a pretty clear winner in terms of people liking that platform as a way of getting their sexual reproductive health. And we had a lot of comments because we're really interested, what did you like about telly? What did you not like about telly? Just to kind of get, you know, dig out, you know, people are always going to tell you the nice things. And a lot of folks said nothing. Other folks said, you know, they lost connection or some of the technical difficulties that we often would run into that can be frustrating. But all in all, it was pretty positive in terms of the actual narrative feedback in addition to the bar grass that I just described. So looking forward, we're kind of observing what a lot of experts are calling our new normal. We've seen these fluctuations in cases. The Delta variant has entered play. We're looking at possibly needing boosters for some people. In light of this changing guidance from CDC, WHO, etc., how is your clinic looking forward, especially now that we aren't in quote unquote lockdown and kids are, you know, in school? A lot of people have returned to work in the office and that sort of thing. Evelyn? Yeah, I think that's still an unfolding story for us as we're looking at what the fall brings. We all know that's traditionally flu and cold season and kids are getting back in school and whether or not that will create additional spikes and disruption to the lives of our patients and our providers. So I think that's still an unanswered question. I'm reading things like, well, between those who are vaccinated and those who didn't get vaccinated, but also are now getting the virus, we're going to get to a place where we'll be more of an endemic than a pandemic 
they haven't given any timelines to that. But I think that's what I'm reading is that we're going to move into a different phase where COVID will still be there, but it won't be in the way we're seeing it now. And the boosters are coming. We know the CDC is recommending that eight months after your last shot, I believe. And that's even beyond if you have some sort of immune suppression issue. So I think we're still figuring that out. And what about for you, Raisa? I would have to agree with Evelyn. We're continuing to monitor the situation. I would say one of the biggest impacts our organization experienced was the need to postpone our on-site monitoring, trainings and technical assistance. Actually, about a few weeks ago, at the beginning of this month, we actually had our virtual federal review. From that, we were able to gauge that it is possible to do, you know, the virtual monitoring, but we also identified that it was, you know, lacking that personal identification that we usually get when we're in the health center and able to provide them with that ready assistance and being able to look through their health center and see exactly what's going on. It's different when you're gauging that information from a virtual platform. So at this point, we are transitioning back to providing on-site technical assistance and support. However, we operate under the guidance of the health center that we are visiting. So we continue to wear masks when in sight, even if vaccinated, and we're continuing to monitor these conditions, especially in light of the Delta variant. We actually, within our own organization, we were going to do like a in-person staff activity because most of our staff haven't seen each other in over a year. But because of the Delta variant, unfortunately, I had to move that to a virtual platform method this time. So we're just watching it and then making changes as we need to. Well, this has been an absolutely wonderful chat talking about all the changes and kind of almost instability, but still keeping going over the past 18 months. Unfortunately, our time is almost up today. But before you both go, if you would both share your final takeaway lessons that you both have learned that you'd like to share with our listeners as they return to their clinical practice and go forward into, again, our new normal. Raisa, if you'd like to go. Sure. So we have learned that we can accomplish strategies and activities that we thought were impossible. (laughs) I think, you know, when you're brought upon something that you've never faced before, you go into go mode and you're like, oh, we're going to be creative and innovative and we're going to get things done that need to be done. So I would say through that ingenuity and that willpower to provide reproductive and sexual health services that our clients need, our network demonstrated that services can transition expeditiously and new modalities can be instituted abruptly. Um, in an effort to ensure our clients receive that high quality care that they need. So the creativity in both outreach and service delivery have been vital to maintaining our statewide network. One of the biggest lessons learned during this reporting period was the importance of creating opportunities for diverse health centers to brainstorm together and lean on each other for support. And you, Evelyn. I think for me, it was a lot of what Raisha says, but also just how vital reproductive and sexual health services are to men, women, and teens in our communities. You know, there was a time where it said, oh, anybody can do sexual and reproductive health. Why do we need a clinic or a health center to provide these services? It can just be blended with everything else. And I think what the pandemic has shown and what the studies are coming out is like how essential this expertise, this level of commitment to excellence, as Raisha says, in terms of making sure we weren't going to slide, we weren't going to back off, we were going to do our level best to figure out creative ways to make these services available. Because I certainly know from our patients how grateful they were that you are there 
or you didn't close. You didn't sort of say you couldn't help me today because what I needed couldn't be done virtually or couldn't be done. And I think that's so typical of who we are. Let's be honest, right? You're not in this field because it pays really well and you get all these pats on the back. So, you know, I think it just really reflects what has always really been there. Incredible grit and no one's going to get us down. We are going to fight the good fight in terms of making sure people have access to the care we provide. And the pandemic just amplified that in ways that is still unimaginable to me. I still think I'm going to wake up and say, oh, that was a real bad dream. So I guess that's the thing I would say. It's a nice big pat on the back to all of you out there for the work you're doing. You don't get enough kudos, in my opinion, because we're so head down, doing the work. And I think it's a good time to just pat yourself on the back and saying, good job. Well, I will also second that motion. That is something I've seen throughout this pandemic, working with our various subject matter experts to produce guidance for everyone. And thank you both for joining us today again and kind of rehashing the past year and a half and just sharing your expertise and lessons learned. For more content, including previous episodes about COVID-19, search for the Family Planning Files podcast or subscribe to our show on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. For transcripts of this podcast, as well as other online learning activities and continuing education opportunities, please visit our website at www.ctcfp.org. You can also follow the National Clinical Training Center for Family Planning on Twitter at NCTCFP, all lowercase, and sign up for our monthly newsletter, Clinical Connections, on our website. This training is supported by DHHS Grant Number 5, FPTPA 006029-03-00. The contents of this podcast solely represent the views of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the official positions of the Department of Health and Human Services, or DHHS, Office of the Assistant Secretary of Health, or OASH, or the Office of Population Affairs, or OPA. No official support or endorsement of DHHS, OASH, and or OPA for the opinions or products described in this podcast is intended or should be inferred. Theme music written by Dan Jones and performed by Dan Jones and the Squids. Other production support provided by the Collaborative to Advance Health Services at the University of Missouri-Kansas City School of Nursing and Health Studies. And finally, thank you to our listeners for tuning in today. We hope that you'll join us next time for another episode of the Family Planning Files.